Quarter Notions is brought to you by FaceFace Games, Canada's number one source for magic singles and products. Check us out at FaceFaceGames.com. We could, and I actually know stuff to talk about. Exactly, you and Travis both do. Well, uh, I know stuff to talk about. <laughs> Travis doesn't actually play video I can talk about my current pod build for modern. Yeah, it's not very good. Uh, from what I've seen, the only people that keep beating are scrubs. So, uh, oh, that's right, I forgot that I totally crushed you when we played it online. Hello, good evening, and welcome to episode 61 of Horde of Notions. I'm your host, Chris. With me tonight, we have all of the regular hosts. First of all, it's Adina. Hello, everybody. It's Will. Jack's not here. He's not regular. And it's Travis. Roll Tide. I'm sure there's a comment about Jack being regular that would be completely inappropriate on this podcast, so I'm just not going to go there. There's nothing inappropriate about fiber. Sure. A healthy BM is part of a happy existence. <laughs> BM Kibler? Is that, is that where we're... Okay. This podcast <laughs> is being recorded with three of us in the Eastern Time Zone, as I'm currently sitting in a hotel in Ottawa. Yay. Sans pen. Oh, we didn't need to know that. <laughs> sure you did. So, this week we are going to give you guys a primer on the modern format. Where, uh, well, two of us are heading to GP Toronto next weekend. This weekend, as you're hearing this. Maybe. And... The FNM format, modern will become an FNM format as of January. So if you're going to get into that, this is a good time to start picking up some of the cards, figure out what deck you want to build, and start practicing. So most of the talking is going to be done by Will and Travis, since they are our modern, uh, I hesitate to use the word, experts. Well, you said R, so like it relegates it to just the four of us. not like The modern the people of, of knowledge... Comparatively speaking to, you know, you or me, Chris. Well, I mean, clearly I know everything. I just wanted to pump these guys up a little yeah. bit. make them so, go to Well, I'm sure you know about the card interactions and the judge rulings and things like that. I hope so, because otherwise Toronto I, is... I think, you're yeah. in trouble. I think for this conversation we can do is we can say that I am the quote-unquote expert and Travis is the Lansdurdle of modern. Also, no quotes on Lansdurdle. So that makes me the pay your royalty? No, Adina, that makes you the curious student. Oh, okay, yeah. I saw a movie about her once. I'm, I'm like the magic girlfriend who like shows up at the tournament and says, I don't really know what all this stuff is about, but it looks pretty and the cards are neat. Yeah, let's go with that description. Sure, thanks, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess the first thing we want to know is what are the the main decks in the format? What are the tier one decks that people should be looking at? Jund, Storm, and Affinity. And Eggs, unfortunately. Okay, see, I would have added Infect to that. Well, see, I think it really kind of, like, there's basically, you have the three pillars, which are uh, Affinity, Jund, and Storm. So basically what they basically represent is combo, aggro, and stuff every good card you can find into a deck and play it. 
Right, Jund is mid-range. Yeah. Uh, if you want a control deck, I think the closest thing to control is probably the blue-white angels deck, or maybe scapeshift, which is more agri- uh, control combo. Uh, I mean, the more, like, say, typical control deck is, uh, I think, the uh, the Kibler-Finkel lists from the Players' Championship that are blue-white. Uh, right. It falls into that range best, because you have stuff like Spell Snare, and you have Remand, and then you essentially have Flash Guys that you can kind of sneak in uh, after uh, after your opponent's turn. And then on the very outskirts, you may run into some Blue White Tron, which is, yeah. Oh, and Gifts as well. Yeah, right. so those are kind of, I mean, they're controlly. Like, say, you have Rug Decks that are, you know, control style, but they have, say, uh, they're not pure control. They have a little hint of uh, something else that goes with it. So do you think the the issue with control is the fact that, you know, most of the good cards are banned? I don't think it's that. I think it's that you have to fight on so many different fronts. You have to be able to stop a turn three aggro, uh, combo deck from going off, and then you have to win a war of attrition with Jund. Uh, it, it makes finding the right build for control very difficult. And then you also have to be able to beat the random rogue decks that just show up. Then there's no like there's no stop stopgap control strategies like you have in Legacy. Like there's no uh, countertop. You can just be like I'm just gonna sit here and counter everything you play. And at the same time, you don't have access to a card like Force of Will or like Days. So it makes it a whole lot harder to essentially play control because you have to play fair control, if you will. Right. Yeah. You don't. You don't have the the really really good old control cards, and then you know some of even the newer fixing stuff. Like isn't Ponder? Isn't that banned in modern? Ponder is preordain. But Serum Vision is your filter of choice. Well, and sleight of hand. What's actually funny about those is the like they benefit combo a whole lot more than they do control, which is the other problem. Like Mental Misstep as well was banned, but again, Mental Misstep is much better in the actual combo deck than it is uh, in the control deck. So actually, by banning those cards, they've made control more viable instead yeah. of less viable, except that then that also nerfs control in a way that, you know, now they can't manipulate their decks, so now they can't get the counter spells they need. Yeah, I could agree with that. Uh, Cryptic Command is, is another key spell if you're looking at control. Uh, Clique as well is really big. Yeah, uh, Clique, like, they both, I mean, Cryptic Command Wait, is... is it really pronounced Clique? Because I thought it was Click. It's I click if you speak French. I believe in America it's pronounced click. Uh, I believe it's pronounced America. America. <laughs> All I know as a wrestling fan is that it's pronounced click. I guess well, that's because it's spelled K-L-I-Q in wrestling. I guess technically I should amend that because Canada is actually in America. Oh, dear. Yeah, it's Amer- not America, America, yes. America. It's not in America. <laughs> It's on the continent of America. I do know where geographically Canada is located. <laughs> Moving on along. So some of the uh, Tier 2 decks. Let me see if I can throw some of these out there. Okay. Tron. Red, uh, I'd say the red-green variety of Tron is... Red-green red, Tron. The other yeah. fall off. Black-white tokens. Dredge Vine. The, um, the Bug Delva list that was showing up in Lyon has been taken up pretty well. Rug Delva... Uh, red, white, blue, Delva. Yeah, I, I think those are more like say falling to tier three. I think like when you go look at tier two, you have red, green, Tron. Uh, you have infect. Pod. You'd have. Oh, finally, someone mentioned it. I've been sitting here waiting. Who's going to say pod? Come on. <laughs> you do indeed have pod, as well as you have uh, Exarch Twin. Or 
Uh, I think Twin, now that Mizium Skin is starting to see more play, is actually Tier 1, maybe Tier 2. Two, like, to a certain extent, right? I mean, Dispel essentially fills the same role that Mizium Skin does for a lot of stuff. There are some things that you obviously want the Mizium Skin over it more. Mm. But if... It, the other thing with that is essentially it's a two-card combo, and it's a deck that, you know, can just go like, oh, you made one mistake, like you die. Yep. So one of the things when it comes to that deck is it's, like, essentially if it can get its combo off and the fact that it's so, it punishes you players for its uh, for the mistakes so badly, I could say, like, that portion could kind of be tier one, but it's not a tier one deck in, say, uh, like, ultimate consistency or what's really being run. And it has a weak Jund matchup, which makes it kind of a suboptimal choice. Jund does have Abrupt Decay to handle most of the ways that it, that it will try to stop you from disrupting it. Um, and it has the early discard to kick the pieces out of your hand before you can combo. Especially new Jun that can hit a turn to Liliana, which is basically game over for any control, any uh, combo deck. Yeah, if you just start chucking cards left, right, and center, it's uh. Well, not necessarily. Storm could can really. It it can hit the path uh, the pass and flame. They can really not be hurt by Liliana. It can, but see the problem with the pass and flames, right? Is that like they have to have it in their hand? Because if you're essentially getting a turn to Liliana, it's because you have a death rate shaman. Which at that point, like, you can just start taking up and then, you know, slowly but surely just taking uh, two off at a time with uh, the Shaman. Which makes, like, if... Uh, one of the things that I play in my Storm deck in the sideboard is four Lightning Bolts, which has kind of fallen out of favor. But against Death Rate Shaman, it's so crucial because if you just let a Death Rate Shaman sit there uh, and they can find some way to, like, get a Liliana in play, it makes your life really hard. Very true. So, okay, those are some of the decks that we can expect to look out for. Also, what, in Tier 2, there's Eggs. I, I don't know if Eggs... Eggs is one of those decks that just shows up. I don't know if you can really put it in a tier. The thing about Eggs is it takes someone who is dedicated to really run it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, but if you uh, really know how to play the deck, it's definitely Tier 1. Uh, not to give... Uh, not that I like, you know, giving uh, credit to that other podcast, but Medina did come up with a really good point uh, at the Pro Tour. If you're looking at Stanislav Sitka, on day one he showed up, you know, he was all, like, ready to go and whatnot there and in good spirits. On day two he was like, you know, the shirt was unbuttoned, he was kind of damper, and he was just like, ugh, you know, like, going through the motions. And then for the finals he was just like, <laughs> seemed to be a complete zombie. <laughs> So it it definitely takes a toll, especially when, like, if you're unlucky enough to basically lose game one, and your opponent's like, no, I want you to go through every single step to kill me in game two. Then you're just, you hate your life. So let's talk a little bit more in depth about some of these decks. Okay. Jund is probably everywhere. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it will probably be 30 to 40% of the metagame. As a, as a as a guideline, Jund is not the deck. Like modern on MTGO is kind of skewed because there's not that high a prevalence of Jund. Mostly because the like barrier to entry to get it for Confidants and for Tarmogoyce or whatnot are kind of outside of some people's price ranges. So it's not as common, but yeah, it's easily thirty percent. So what are what are some of the key cards that you're going to see in in most Jund builds? 
the card that really pushed it over the top has been Death Rat Shaman. Well, yes, but that's a recent addition. The card that makes Jun Jund is uh, Bloodbraid Elf. Bloodbraid Elf, yeah. Uh, not I don't know. As, like uh, the thing with Bloodbraid Elf is essentially like it's an extremely well costed card, but it's the Cascade that can hit every single one of your other cards. And since Jun happens to play black, it has access to a bunch of discard and Dark Confidant. Since it has access to red, it has stuff. Uh, it has Lightning Bolt. And it, with access to green, it has Tarmogoyf. On top of that, then, you get into, say, more premium removal with Terminate, which has absolutely no boundaries to killing stuff. has to be a creature. Well, sorry. In terms of creature <laughs> removal. But you also have access to uh, being in black-green. You have Maelstrom Pulse, and you have Abrupt Decay. Yeah, and it's a good idea to play a mixture of the two. Otherwise, you get screwed over by a ley line of sanctity. Right, Yuya? Right. What, what about, I mean, Abrupt Decay, I think it's a great card, but I know in Standard, everybody thought it was going to be so wonderful, and then nobody seems to be playing it. Uh, is it just that there's a lot more targets and there's a lot better targets for it in, uh, in Modern that you think that it's going to see a lot of play and it's going to be more of a requirement in your deck? There's no yes. dry cuts in Modern. Yep. There's uh, there are some decks that go above four, but the majority of your most powerful spells are going to be three or less. I mean, yeah. if they're casting Blood Braid, the Blood Braid's not your problem. It's cascading into Liliana or cascading into Tarmogoyf. It's good enough that it can kill uh, Vendillion Click. If you're playing a blue deck, it can kill um, Goyf. Goyf. It can kill problematic uh, permanents other than creatures. Uh, like say, you want to kill I don't know some of the artifacts. It's just so wide range, and the fact that it can't be countered makes it invaluable against decks like Splinter Twin that will be packing counter spells. Yeah. Speaking of artifacts, is is there no more? Is Affinity no longer a thing? Affinity is still tier one. It's changed though. The the previous Affinity decks, a lot of them were just running red for Shrapnel Blast and Galvanic Blast. Now most of them are running blue for Thoughtcast and Master of Ethereum. Yep. Getting two cards for. One blue is pretty sweet. Also, Almost as good as getting game. three cards for one blue. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but that card is banned. <laughs> well, it's also not legal in modern. Correct. Like, or in any format that people play. Well, you know, there are people that play vintage. Yeah, not many. Uh, Affinity is really good right now. Uh, the version I've been playing plays uh, Ethereum Sculptor which people tell me is terrible, but I find really good in the deck. Could I it's be terrible. one of those people? That tells you it's terrible? That tells me it's terrible? Yeah. Yep. Have you tried it? I have. I know what it is. It's the uh, it's the one-two for one and a blue that it makes all your artifact spells cost one less. Correct. But, I mean, are most of Affinity's artifacts so cheap anyway that doesn't really matter? If you have access to two mana, you're casting them anyway? Most of them, yes, but the fact that you can then do multiple things per turn, like the whole point with Affinity is it wants to win by turn three, or powerful things like Shatterstorm start becoming possible. Why are you going to waste two mana on something that's not going to help you until the next turn? It does help you before the next turn. If you can get turn one Sculptor, which is possible, uh, you can then do like Springleaf Drum, and then tap that, play a free Vault Scourge as well. You can tap your Springleaf Drum and the creature and play something else, like a Steel Overseer. Yeah, but at that point, that means you've got one card left in your hand, and it better be damn good if that's what you're leading with. 
Okay, but this is turn one, Travis. <laughs> right, but you're still, you're still looking at two mana sources, Ethereum Sculptor, Springleaf Drum. If, even if you're playing over Overseer, I mean, whatever you, else you have in your hand better be enough to win you because, I mean, that's a slow draw for Affinity. Unless you get Thoughtcast. Yeah. Right, but like, I think the way to look at Affinity is essentially Affinity is a combo deck like Storm. The difference, though, is instead of Grave Shot, uh, it's Cranial Plating. Now, admittedly, right. it's not exactly the same. Or Ink Moth Nexus. Yeah. Ink Moth Nexus has killed me more with Affinity than any other card. So it's like it actually has pieces in play that, you know, it can grind out, save, not exactly like Storm. But essentially, if there's a Cranial Plating in play, Affinity gets exponentially better. Absolutely, and and Ethereum Sculptor does enable you to play and equip the plating a turn earlier, or play and equip it and cast something else. No, it it does. It's just like you need to like you need to be quite fast, right? Because use while you're while what you're doing with Ethereum Sculptor can be powerful. Uh, there's a lot of times where it can delay you a turn. Which, if that's the case, uh, generally Affinity is half a turn faster than uh, Storm. But if you delay it, even then half turn, then Storm gets uh, gets the edge. Yeah. Um, Plus, what, do you, what did you cut for it? I'm not sure what I cut for it. Oh, I know. I only have two Ravages. So I'm playing two Ravages, two uh, Sculptors. Yes, I'm aware that that's not correct. Okay. Okay, so long as you're aware. Right. We understand financial limitations yes. or card finding limitations. Just to, well, it's a bit, bit of both. Just to explain, but to explain it to the everyone else, there's this card in Magic that was printed called Arcbound Ravager that became the bane of everyone's existence. Like, think about how Thrag Tusk is the bane of your existence right now, and then multiply that by seventeen. And like to the point where it almost killed the game. Yeah, but. I gotta slightly disagree with you there. Arcbound Ravager, okay, so it's a two casting cost artifact. It's a zero zero. Comes into play with one plus one plus one counter on it. It has the ability to sacrifice an artifact to put a plus one plus one counter on Arcbound Ravager. And it also has modular one, or modular rather, which means that when it dies, you can put its plus one plus one counters on any other artifact creature you control. Meaning that if your opponent is tapped out, you can sack your board to Ravager, except for your Ink Moth Nexus, and then put nine counters, plus one plus one counters on Ink Moth Nexus, and one-shot your opponent. Or you can Very put true. five and two-shot them, since the counters will stay on the land. That is true as well. Now, the thing that I think killed it was not Arcbound Ravager, it was the artifact lands with Arcbound Ravager. That's what made Ravager so powerful. Uh, I disagree. Well, I mean... The thing is, is the artifact lands were out of set before Ravager came out, and they really didn't cause a lot of trouble. Ravager took what was already there and said, yeah, let's turn it up to 11 and, and break the format. But then they also introduced Skull Clamp at the same time, so... Wizards was definitely a little bit asleep at the wheel that set. Yeah, Darksteel was just like, all right, guys, we'll, we'll take this one off. You guys have fun. Invent some stuff. Yeah. Let's just print some really, really powerful cards and see what the players do with them. Did you ever read the story of Skull Clamp? It's just that they just forgot to test it. They're like, let's just make it give minus one instead and let them draw two cards. No one ever tested it until after it was printed. <laughs> now, Skull Clamp is not legal, so we don't really need to talk about that. It is not. 
But so the affinity deck, since we're going to talk about that, well, did we finish talking about Jund? The thing about Jund is it plays the most powerful card possible at each of the mana costs that it it has. It plays the, the best colors. one drop, the best two drop, the best three drop, and the best four drop. And then so, if I it mean, brings in Batter Skull, you could arguably say Batter Skull is the best five drop. I don't know if I necessarily di- uh, agree with that. It certainly plays very powerful cards at each spot. The thing that makes Jund so difficult is that it is constantly grinding out card advantage. Almost everything it does puts it up a card. Or plays it even. And the, with the newer, uh, the, mo- the current versions of Jund also... They focus on just going one for one, one for one, one for one, until nobody has anything. And look, they have Raging Ravine, which will stomp you very quickly. Or they top deck Bloodbird Elf, and then they just got even more. Right. I mean, it just attacks from every angle. It's the most... It's like a, a super version of the rock. It, it's just powerful and consistent. It also has access to a whole lot of cards, like sideboard-related mostly, that wreck even more havoc on people. Like, as Chris mentioned, Shatterstorm. But it also has access to Olivia, which pink is pretty good. It has Jun Charm and has Rakdos Charm, which, while you might not think it, you're like, oh, that's awful and standard. Not so much in, uh, <laughs> in modern. It also has this card called Fulminator Mage. And it also has Ancient Grudge and Leyline of the Void, by the way. It does have... Uh, Leyline of the Void isn't played as much, but it does have access to Ancient Grudge. But there's this card called Fulminator Mage. And this card hates every single deck except for Mono Red in Modern. Yep. It is a pain. Did you hear Scotty Max Tech on, uh, when he was talking about the GP trial he won? Grave Pack? No, um, Sword of Light and Shadow. Yes. So he could set Fulminator Mage and then return it with the Sword of Light and Shadow? It also gains him life against decks that could otherwise race him. Right. That too. But against something like Tron, if you're able to kill a Tron piece every turn, even if you're just clocking them with, I don't know, Deathrat Shaman, the life isn't important, but getting rid of that land really is. Agreed. And again, that's just what's so good about Jund. You can pretty much play any avenue of attack you want to. You're, you're, whatever you cast at that mana cost is probably going to be at least as good as what they're casting. And then it has a lot of cards that it says, you know, turn to Bob. You don't answer this, you're dead. That's a dark confidant for the uninitiated. <laughs> but it's it's also very weird as a deck because I don't think there's really ever been a deck like whose goal in Magic is just to one for one your opponent till you win. Well, I don't think like the discard the early discard one for ones you and so does Bolt. Well, but I mean, but, Bolt's just one of the best. But like your like the consistent strategy of Jund is essentially one for one you until a point where it gets cards the two for one you. When it gets stuff like Dark Confidant, which draws, a, which draws an extra card, or it gets stuff like Bloodbraid Elf, which uh, gets you an extra spell to play, or and for free as, a, as well, or it just gets you a Raging Ravine after having done all that, and it's like, I'm just going to hit you for four, for five, for six. Oh, you're, look, you're dead. And prior and to this card, year, advantage, card advantage is one of the basic tenets of the game. You know, that's one of the basic strategies. Isn't that the way Delver was such a huge thing, you know, because you, they'd one-for-one you, and then they'd find ways to two-for-one you and get the card advantage and library manipulation and all that? Right. And, and prior to this year, that was the way you fought Jun in Modern. The, the Rug Delver decks would use Snapcaster Mage as a way to two-for-one them. But Deathrite Shaman took that off the table really fast. Mm-hmm. I think it really pushed Jun over the top. And now Lingering Souls is part of a lot of Jun decks. Why was that a good addition, guys? 
It helps the affinity matchup. It helps the uh, mirror match. Uh, infect. Infect as well, Infect right? quite a bit. It does, because it provides that one blocker. And since stuff with cranial plating or pump spells don't give them trample, Rancor does, but most all the other pump spells don't, uh, just being able to throw a useless spirit token in front of them creates a whole lot of problem. Where you can essentially, yeah. instead of taking 10 damage, take like 2 from 2 Memnites and then block uh, whatever has a cranial plating on it, you're doing much better. Yeah, and I mean, Lingering Souls, that's 4 creatures for 1 card. So that's a huge card advantage. Exactly. And, and they can also double up on that card advantage by discarding it to Olivia, or, um, Liliana. Yeah, which, well, that kind of gives you even stranger types of card advantage. But that's not really relevant to how the deck plays. All right, let's move to, to Affinity since we started talking about that. Affinity, this is a deck that I've been playing a lot of recently, so I'm pretty in a, in a pretty good place to talk about it. It kills things by turning dudes sideways. Very fast. In Affinity, you're playing eight creatures that uh, that cost zero, uh, and the rest of them mostly cost two. I don't think there's any one-drop creatures, right? Well, Vault Scourge. Yeah, if you want to consider it that. Uh, sorry, no, Signal Pest. Oh, forgot Signal Pest, yeah. Uh, so your key to victory in most cases is going to be a cranial plating on something. Cranial plating is plus one, plus zero for each artifact you control. You've got thought cards to refill your hand, which draws you two cards for uh, blue and four, but it has affinity, so each artifact you control reduces the cost by one. It's the perfect swarm deck. It basically draws seven cards at the start of the game, and if all goes well, by the end of its first turn, it has maybe a card in hand? Yes, which sometimes two. Which means if it's played six, maybe seven cards, one of the, only one of those is lands. Now, there's probably some form of accelerant, like there's a Mox Opal or there's a Springleaf Drum, but that means that you're looking at four to five cards that actually mean the business. And if that extra card in hand is actually a Cranial Plating, you're dead. Yeah, that's the other thing. (laughs) The (laughs) the other problem with Affinity is that the the cards that it still has at hand that it can't play on the first turn are generally bad for you. Affinity is, is... If the hate is not in the sideboards, Affinity is going to be the best deck any tournament goes to. Yeah. If they pack the hate, it's going to have a, it's going to have a rough week. Rickin. That's what I was about to say. The, uh, the bad thing about Affinity is that pretty much every color can hate it out. Red can Shatterstorm, green can Creep and Corrosion, white has Stony Silence, blue has Hercules Recall, black, well, I mean, a black Sun Zenith uh, could really ruin your day. Black is the one color that is weak to artifacts, so, I mean, its answers aren't as good. This is true. Um, It also has the one card that you definitely don't want to play against Affinity, like, ever. Bob. No, well, it has that, but Disciple the Vault. Having Affinity dump their hand and then you go and turn one Disciple the Vault is never going to end well for you. Uh, Unless you can follow it up with something that kills all their artifacts. That, too. (laughs) Uh, But the... The thing about Stony Silence is it doesn't stop them from attacking, but it does render uh, Arcbound Ravager and Cranial Plating completely useless. Uh, yeah, and one of the things to think of with Affinity is if you go through the list of creatures that are there, Memnite's just a 1-1, Vault Scourge is a 1-1, Signal Pest is a 0-1, Ornithopterus is a 0-2. So collectively, they don't add very much. Obviously, like Signal Pest does have the battle cry, 
But it's those key pieces like a cranial plating or like an arcbound ravager. That or a steel overseer as well. Or a steel overseer that really start to get annoying. I mean, Master of Ethereum is still a threat. But uh, it's not, it's, that's basically that you're down to one card that you need to worry about. Some affinity decks have started playing Tempered Steel in the sideboard to counteract Stony Silence. Yeah, though White is not the, I mean, White does have access to uh, Steel Shaper's Gift. Though, besides that, the White cards are generally not super powerful. They're much more uh, sideboard, uh, relegated to the sideboard. Yeah, most of the most of the white cards like Ether Swan Cannon is done playing in my sideboard for Storm and uh, uh, Path to Exile as well. You're playing Path to Exile in my board, yeah. As opposed to Dispatch. Ah, maybe I should be playing Dispatch. I completely forgot that was a card. <laughs> Will looks at your list and says, "Not dirtily enough." <laughs> Yeah, Dispatch is just better. Well, unless it's after a cider storm, right? <laughs> right, but generally it's going to be better. I can't argue with that. All right, uh, what else is a deck? All right, let's look at Storm. So how does Storm win? Uh, very, very annoying. It, it asks you to tap out, and if you do, it kills you. Yes, but basically. to put it into a better perspective... Storm plays a whole lot of rituals with some cantrips in between, which essentially will up its storm count to a number that's suitable, and then grape shot you. Now you're thinking a bunch of rituals is, you know, not that big a deal, but unfortunately when you have a card like Pass in Flames, which yeah. gives everything flashback and allows them to play all the rituals once again, then it creates a whole lot of problems because your set your rituals instead of adding one storm now add two storm. And you've also got to look at um, empty the warrens as a possibility. That is the backup plan. Yeah, yeah. In the it'll be in the sideboard. Uh, so you have there's essentially like four paths if you will storm. There's just the straight storm, which is a whole bunch of rituals and grape shot. Uh, then you have Pyromancer's ascension, which generally is more. Uh, controlling, if you will. It's not like straight up, like, kill you right away. But what Pyromancer Ascension does is if you can get the two counters on it, it doubles up all your spells. So your cantrips allow you to see more cards, your rituals give you more mana, and that creates even more problems. Then but Pyro with Pyromancer's Ascension, though, those aren't cast, those are just copies. Correct. Copies, okay. right. I mean, not, not that copies are bad, I'm just saying they don't add to your storm count. However, they do they create the effect twice as much. So um, yeah. you get to draw more cards, you get to create more mana. That's not a bad thing. Right. So when you can use cards like Serum Visions to go through your deck and Sleight of Hand to go through your deck, one, while well, one copy is fine, if you have a second copy, it makes you even better. And if you, uh, you have stuff like a Taxi and Probe, which you're essentially paying two life for, for and no mana, which mana is essentially the big resource in Storm that you have to worry about, and blue mana in particular... Which makes Manamorphose fantastic for that day. It is. Even though it does like triple duty. So if you're if you're able to get the two counters on the Pyromancer Ascension, having two copies of Manamorphose is extremely powerful. Uh, the third way they have is Empty the Warrens. So Empty the Warrens is Storm, and for each Storm count, it produces two one-one goblins. So essentially, if you go off turn two and you just go like ritual, ritual, ritual. Ritual, maybe a cantrip or whatnot there. Even getting Storm to 4 or 5 and then play Empty the Warrens 
you can get 10 dudes, though there's a lot of times you can easily get 20 and 25 dudes, which essentially says, I'm not killing you this turn, but if you don't have a way to deal with this, you're dead next turn. And that trickery! <laughs> yeah. There, there's, <laughs> certainly, there's certainly a lot of answers. You have electricity, you have stuff like Rakdos Charm and Jump Charm, you have Pyrocladder. Pyro yeah, Pyrocladder to wipe the, wipe the board, as well as um, the Mushroom Pulse. Okay, but you know what the funniest thing is, though, is Batwing Broom. Uh, then they have to be attacking, though. That's fine. <laughs> sure, I suppose, Batwing Broom. And well, Rakdos Charm does the same thing, and it kills them, right? It does. Nice. Yeah, that sounds fun. Calm down. So <laughs> like John Good. I love Rakdos Charm. It's such a fun and card. The, the last way, well, say, it's not really a four. It's more kind of like a 1B. Uh, is some of the decks play Pyromancer Swath. Yeah. Means that you're, they're grape shots, instead of dealing one for each copy, deal three for each copy. Which means they can go off without as many rituals, but they do have to be able to cast the Pyromancer Swath. Well, actually what it means is they can go off with only rituals and not need to cantrip. Well, they need some of the rituals to get the Swath into play, which, like, they need to cast at least two so they can keep going. Right, but it's, like, you're, you're looking at, uh, in the deck there are eight two mana rituals, which give you three mana, and then there's four seething songs. So yeah. if you have, you know, let's say, two seething songs and three of the other rituals, a Pyromancer Swath and a Grape Shot, then they're dead. The uh, yeah. cases with uh, Modern, where you have fetch lands, where you have shock lands, uh, if you, say, for example, you know, play a turn one, uh, untap shock land, and play whatever dude it is, instead of needing seven storm, they only need, uh, well, six storm plus the copy of it, they only need five. They only yeah. need, you know, four rituals, the swath, and then grape shot. It's also worth uh, pointing out the Electromancer del- yes. uh, Storm. Which is the newest edition from Return to Ravnica. And pretty much right. all the Storm versions are playing it. So Goblin Electromancer is instant sorcery spells you cast, cost one less. Yeah, basically, if your opponent plays turn two Electromancer, get rid of it, you probably die the next turn. Yeah, so Electromancer, uh, it makes all the rituals even more dangerous, right, is the thing. It does, because and one of the things is, uh, at the first Pro Tour, it wasn't banned, but it was banned after, and that's Rite of Flame. Rite yeah. of Flame is a one-mana ritual, which allowed Storm to go off on turn one. Now, it can't go off on turn one, Rite of Flame is banned, but Goblin Electromancer makes your rituals into Rite of Flames, which produce a whole lot of death, generally. Yes. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> or on the off chance that, uh, as John Finkel did at the Pro Tour, the Goblin Electromancers can just beat down. Beat down, yep. <laughs> now, um, one thing I did do against the Pyromancer Swath version was in response to their Swath, click them and take their Get Grape Shot. That was amusing. So that's where, that's really where Click Shines is against Storm. Because generally, you're only going to have one copy of the Storm card uh, in your hand. Occasionally, you get unlucky and they have a second copy. So if you can essentially go right before they, they are about to kill you with the Grape Shot, play the Vendillion Click, targeting them, and remove their Grape Shot, uh, then they have more work to do to, again, get to where they need to go. So how do we beat some of these decks? First of all, what's, what is the weakness to Jund? Jund essentially loses to itself, which isn't really a weakness, but it also loses to Red Green Tron, because 
Red Green Shark can basically, like, it's one of the few decks in the format that is essentially can do unfair things. You know, being able to go... Turn 3 con liberated. <laughs> yeah, but uh, also being able to go turn 3 worm coil yeah. creates a whole lot of problems, as well as it plays, uh, it has access to main deck graveyard hate in the form of Relic of Progenitus, has yeah. support sweepers like, like Pyroclasm. Otherwise, it's essentially like, you can't, decks can't beat Jund in its own game. Like, Jund is by far the best mid-range deck in the format, and it's the best deck at one-for-one-ing people and then two-for-one-ing people. I think Pard could beat it at his game, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, but you have combo kill pod, so it's slightly different. So, you, in order to beat it, like, if you want to... Storm needs to beat it by going off pretty much as soon as possible, because if not, between the discard, between the uh, just kind of straight-up beatdowns that it's giving you, it makes it a whole lot harder... Affinity as well, it has to, like, Jund is essentially a deck that it can't win the first three turns, but it's made not to lose the first three turns, so you need to beat it the first three turns. That or you need to take advantage of it if it draws its card, uh, cards out of order. Like any other rock or mid-range deck, if it draws its uh, its creatures first and it discard later, you have the chance to get in there under it and beat it. Agreed. Now, I also think that the, the green-white hate bears deck that Kibler put together just annihilates Jund. I wouldn't say annihilates, but it's probably got a positive matchup. I t- what do you so, think? What? So what's in this hate bears deck? What's the deck? So, well, basically what Kibler did was take the eight good spells in modern that come into play for free if you're forced to discard them, and then built a deck around them. So he's got Gaddock Teague, main deck. He's got... Uh, does he have Dryad Militant in the main? I don't think so. He's got Knight of the Reliquary because he's Kibler. Although I think his article said he's taking that out. Uh, so the deck is uh, two Aven Mind Sensor, two Bane Slayer, four Birds, four Spiner, four Hierarch, three Pride Mage, Kasali Pride Mage, uh, four Wilt Leaf Leech, one Gaddock Teague, two Linvala, two Thalia. Uh, for lands, three forests, the plains, one ga- uh, three Gavany, one Godless Shrine, two Horizon Canopy, a Misty Rainforest, an Overgrown Tomb, four Razor Ridge Thicket, two Stirring Wildwood, a Temple Garden, four Vernon Catacombs. Uh, it has one Dismember, four Path to Exile, and four Lingering Souls. Then the sideboard, it has three Chalice of the Void, two Relic of Progenitus, one Rest in Peace, two Rule of Law, three Stony Silence, two Dismember, and two Creeping Corrosion. The Chalice of the Void is really good. Yeah, it is. I think it's definitely one of the under underused cards in the format. I mean, if you drop if you go first and drop that against Affinity, it really hoses them. Uh, against Storm, I mean, if you cast it for one or two, it really hoses them. And with his um, mana acceleration, he can drop it for even two or three, even pretty soon. And here's an interesting one for you: if you set it to three, you can still cast your Loxodon on Smiter. Yes. You can't cast Lingering Souls, though, even with flashbacks, so don't do that. Also, just to explain, it's because Loxodon Spider can't be countered. It's not because of yeah. second ability. No, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Don't start reading too much into that. <laughs> uh, okay, so how do we beat Affinity? Shatterstorm, Ancient Grudge. Make sure you can interact in the first couple turns. 
or just have a good amount of blockers like lingering cells. What about pyroclasm? That works too. Anything that kind of gets rid of everything is... I think that the, the Ravager draw that could not work. Because I'll just sack everything to Ravager, Ravager, put it on land, and then say, okay, I'll kill you next turn. And uh, also the Master of Ethereum draw. That too. Yeah. So it's not, okay. it's not as effective. I mean, it can certainly do some work, but... We also talked about the, the sideboard hate stuff like Shadowstorm and Stony Silence and stuff that just completely shuts the deck down, right? Shuts it down. That is the thing that a lot of the pros are having trouble with with Modern. They think that the sideboard answer cards are too powerful for too many of the decks. There are so many good spells that you can bring in that just completely shift the matchup. Um, I think LSV was talking about it. That That's the reason he ended up playing Jun, because it had access to the most ways to completely hose the opponents. But not only that, but like there's no sideboard card against Jund. No, like I mean, even no stuff like Leyline of Sanctity doesn't help a lot. No, it, it hoses their discard. Not even that. Liliana gets by it. But, yeah, except for Liliana. Uh, they can't bolt you to the face, which I guess in, like, for an example, against eggs, it does make a difference. Well, you bolt, you side out the bolts against eggs anyway. No, I know, but... So there's there's not, like, one card that basically says, hey, what's up? I'm going to hose you. Like, the closest, I think, is, I guess, is Relic of Progenitus, or some form of graveyard hate, because you can get rid of, basically, Tarmogoyce become useless, and uh, so death rate shamans get hosed as well. Uh, well... The only problem is one, that... One of the abilities does. Yeah, well, it... No, I mean, if you have something like a uh, rest, or even like a rest in peace, then it hoses all three abilities. Oh, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah. But at the same That's time, a like... a good portion of the deck that... To just a neuter. Yeah, and that, well, the other thing is, like, that's pretty much as close as you'll get to, like, neutering a deck. Is, like, say, eight cards in Jund. Yeah. Like, there's no card that really does what uh, Shatterstorm does, or does what Rule of Law does, does what uh, Leyline of Sanctity does. Okay, so on the topic of Rule of Law, that's uh, one of the ways to host Storm. Rule of Law says players can only play one spell each turn. That kind of also messes up Bloodbraid Elf, but not much else in Jund. No. Uh, it, so you, it hoses Storm. It hoses uh, Eggs as well. Yes. Which is... so. And what's quite nice about it is the fact that, uh, depending... Like, I've seen Rule of Law played in some Jund decks, and Storm and Eggs players aren't bringing Echoing Truth against Jund. Unless, of course, they saw the Rule of Law, but in terms... If they don't know what your sideboard is... Uh, bringing in Echoing Truth is generally not a good idea. Uh, I tend to bring in Echoing Truth against any deck I think might be playing Hate. Not for Storm. Well, I play Eggs, though, so that's different. But So Rule Law is certainly good because, you know, being able... They can cast the spells. It means they need uh, access to their Echoing Truth. Like, even if they dig for it, they can only dig one card a turn. So it gives you more, it gives you more time to set up what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, also, Storm. Like, e did you mention Ether Swan Canonist? No, that's uh, uh, that's from the Affinity one. Well, any white Affinity. any white deck can play it. It's a rule of law with legs. Unless, of yeah. course, it's Travis's right white deck, then it plays four. <laughs> <laughs> Only one in the main. You just have a lot of ways to find it. There are four. Don't lie to me, boy. I actually I played it in a Soul Sisters Hate Bears deck uh, that had Fauna Shamans to find it. 
that was a fun deck to play. That's the one that Chapin said sounded sweet. Christmas moments of glory. <laughs> That's about 25 episodes ago, 35 Tell yourself episodes. that every night as you go to sleep. 34 episodes ago. Thank you. Because Chris <laughs> is handing. <laughs> Uh, what else hoses Storm? Uh, Leyline of Sanctity hoses Grape Shot, but if they know that you're going to bring that in, they're likely to play Empty the Warrens anyway. Right. Which has is... the weakness to counter spells. Um, some counter spells. When they're well timed. Stuff like Mana Leak and Spell Pierce is only good if you get the first ritual. Which makes Spell Snare really good, because it will always get the first ritual. Or Remand. Remand buys you a turn. Uh, just by the way, don't try to counter the Storm spell, because they still get all the copies. Though you could play Trickbind if you really hate Storm. Trickbind, Void Slime also works. Yeah, that's probably better. Because that also counters spells. <laughs> Void Slime is actually surprisingly versatile. Yeah, if it just costs one less. Well, three mana for a counter isn't bad. In mod- um, I have. What about well, is it Mind Break Trap, the, the one that counters... Yes. Yeah, Mindbreak Trap. Mindbreak Trap is a uniform storm killer. <laughs> it will just stop the deck cold. Uh, I have actually used Void Slime to counter Emrakul's Annihilator 6 trigger. Really? If you could counter the Take an Extra Turn trigger? No, I didn't need to, because I knew I had Void Slime for his Annihilator 6. I chump blocked it and then killed him on the next turn. Yes, because Emrakul doesn't have Trample. You'd think a giant spaghetti monster would, but it just doesn't. Well, it's too busy taking extra turns and forcing you to sacrifice things. I was going to say, I think the idea behind Emrakul is if you sacrifice six permanents, the chance that you actually have a blocker left are so slim that, you know, you should be rewarded by that. Otherwise, the card would just be unfair. Yeah, I mean, did you think they really wanted to push it that much? Make it just, you know, the best creature ever if you attack with it? Come on now, you couldn't give it trample. Or protection from everything. What well, does have protection from everything? No, Progenitus does. I know. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. They didn't give it to Emrakul. All right, let's move on to another thing about modern. What are some decks that aren't fully explored yet in modern? Some cards that people might think could be built around but haven't been yet. Oh, wow. Lots. I mean, there's so many Tier 2 and Tier 3 decks that could be... I mean, if you take them to the right tournament and they meet the right environment, or you adjust the way they're built uh, based on what you expect, that could be good enough to win a tournament. I mean, like we just mentioned, Soul Sisters. You run into the right series of decks, Soul Sisters is a tier one deck. I think Soul Sisters has, is, is one of those decks that could come out of nowhere to surprise people. Like, in a format full of combo, it's not good. But if the combo decks do start to die out, then Soul Sisters becomes a lot better. Wouldn't you say? Yes. Well, it depends on the combo. I mean, I think they're not that bad against Storm, but uh, Eggs or Pod, yes. Infect also doesn't care. No, but it's actually rather annoying to play against the Storm. Yeah, because you have to basically get an insane Storm count before you go off. I mean, Soul Sisters can gain 20 life or 21 life on turn two and then swing for six in the air. What is Jones' matchup with Soul Sisters like? I've heard lots of Jones players witching about it. It's actually not that bad. Liliana is terrible for you. Uh, Jun Charm can also ruin your day. But if they can't get the early discard going to disrupt your Martyr of Sands, 
And if you're not playing either Revelark or Ranger of Eos, you can have some serious trouble against Jund. I mean, as Jund. No, uh, no, against Jund. If you're playing White Weenie, Jund can kill... If you're playing Soul Sisters, Jund can kill you if you don't have ways to go big or if they get uh, early discard. Okay. So I, I think there was a deck that was played at... I, I, I want to say GP Chicago. There was a red-white quasi-control deck that played a Johnny Vengeant. Did you see this one? Mm, no. no. I think it was Melissa DeTora and her husband, boyfriend, not sure. Looks like a reanimator deck, top aided. At Gifts Ungiven. Yeah, Gifts Ungiven, reanimate. Well, g- Gifts decks generally, we'll, we'll get to those in a minute. But this red-white deck, it had like Lightning Helix, Figure of Destiny, Ajani Vengeance, uh, basically all the good red and white burn and removal, so Path and Bolt. And uh, I think it might have had Balefire Leech. I've like I've seen Boros uh, played. So essentially, like you have, I mean, when you're looking for the straight up aggro, you have mono red, you have Boros, or you have Rakdos. So all three of them are certainly playable, and they each have their benefits and their weaknesses. Uh, being in Boros, you certainly have access. You have access to cards like Path to Exile, which can get rid of annoyances like say Worm Coils. Yeah. Whereas Mono Red essentially just has as much straight damage as possible, though if they're able to stabilize, it makes life a whole lot harder, because there's no way to say come back. I can get behind that. Anybody, uh, so Adina, I'm sure you would love to know if there's a Rakdos deck, right? I would love to play a Rakdos deck, that'd be a lot of fun. So is there one, guys? Nope, sorry. Unfortunately, Dina, there's nothing for you in modern. Please leave. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, no, in all honesty, I would, I would probably, you know, if I were going to be picking a deck, I would probably actually pick Storm because um, it's a lot, uh, it's very similar to what I was playing when I first started Magic and I was playing uh, Extended and I had, you know, Mind's Desire was still in the format. So I was definitely playing a Storm deck and it was a Storm deck with Mind's Desire and uh, Tendrils of Agony. So that's, that's kind of right up my alley, uh, it, except that you wouldn't know that because lately I've just been so all about Rakdos. There is, or at least there was when Modern was first announced, a, a viable Rakdos deck that basically just ran a whole bunch of one and two casting cost burn spells. Oh, it's still viable. And uh, Bob. Yeah. So that card's pretty good. So I hear. Yeah. It should be reprinted and stuff. Especially when you're playing uh, a burn deck that you can essentially, you know, you don't mind taking one life if it draws you a lightning bolt. Yeah, the, basically the burn decks in the format say if I cast seven spells, I win. Sometimes if I cast six, I win. Yeah. So, I mean, basically what you're doing is trading one mana for three damage in that deck, right? Yeah. So yep. you have access to Bomb of Night. You have access to Lightning Bolt. You have access to Shard Volley. Lava Spike. You have access to Lava Spike, which, while people are like, well, that doesn't hit creatures, it doesn't matter. All of it's going to your opponent's face. You if you're casting on creatures, you're losing. Yeah, you don't care about creatures. I think you run Goblin Guide, don't you? You have Goblin Guide, and you have Vexing Devil. Uh, Hellspark well, some Elemental? Have Ve- Vexing Devil. Yes, you have Hellspark Elemental. Uh, you also have Rift Bolt for that, one da- for that three damage for one. You have to suspend it, but still. You have Searing Blaze, which is, in this case, it's two damage. It's three damage for two mana, but that's a, very, that's a fine trade-off. 
And there's a lot of decks that will have Grim Lavamancer, so that even after you've taken all these three damage for one spells, they'll just remove two of them and Lavamancer you for two more damage. You've also got uh, Fetchlands. Do they have anything in there, any kind of Furnace of Wrath effect to double the damage to make it, you know, even better? When are you going to hit four mana? No. Well, no, I mean, I mean, my question is, is, is there anything, you know, that they can do? I'm not saying Furnace of Wrath itself, because that costs four mana. I'm saying, are there, not, is there anything that, you know, will double it? There's nothing not for that thing. doubling damage. I mean, essentially, if you have a hand that's, say, a Goblin Guide, a Hellspark Elemental, a Bump of the Night, a Lightning Bolt, and, say, two other damage spells, that's 20 damage. Yeah. Generally. Yeah, because I, I remember back in the day when Vanguard was a thing online. I actually had a, van, a Vanguard deck that was built um, with the original Rakdos um, general, or I mean, they weren't generals; they were your Vanguard card or whatever. Um, but the uh, the um, her effect that she had on the on the board was it was Lizolda the Blood Witch, and if you had no cards in hand, all damage that you would deal or that your creatures would deal was doubled. Um, so, you know, basically that, that made one with nothing actually viable. Uh, at <laughs> least in my deck it did. You know, you'd, you'd um, basically put a bunch of stack, put a bunch of spells on the stack and then play one with nothing, discard whatever, you know, if you had a couple extra lands or something in your hand. Um, and everything in the deck was instant speed, so if there was anything to make you draw a card, you just play it immediately. Um, that was a lot of fun for me. I mean, I, I loved being able to just dump my entire hand and here you go, double damage and, I had the uh, the enchantment that you sacrifice it to do two damage, so that would do four damage. And of course, I had lightning bolts and all sorts of burn, um, and even some cheap creatures too in there. So right. So the answer is no, there isn't. Okay. Now some decks do play either Stigmalasha or Flames of the Blood Hand to take care of things like Worm Coil Engine or Batter Skull like, or Life Gate in general. Like I have a mono red deck next to me right now. So like, just <laughs> shuffle it up and hand is two lands. Goblin Guide, Rift Bolt, Hellspark Elemental, Lightning Bolt, Lava Spike. So wasn't, wasn't there a Zendikar card? Yeah, it was good. like a, a quest that doubled the damage somehow. Yeah, but you don't play it. No. Okay, so like I'm, just I'm just asking of, if there was something cheap okay. to do that. Okay. Just out of this sample hand, right? Bolt and Lava Spike is 6 damage. Hellspark Elemental is another 6, so you're at 12. Rift Bolt is 15, and Goblin Guide is 2 for each time it hits. So if they're fetching or whatnot, that 7 cards is enough damage to kill them. On turn three. Regardless of what else they're drawing. I mean, you're going, your, turn, your turn one play is Goblin Guide, right? Yeah. So you hit him for two. Then your turn two, you can go Hellspark Elemental. Then if you want, on turn three, you can bring it back. So essentially turn four, they're dead. Now, obviously, they can draw stuff and they can interact with you, but at the same time, oh, wow, that's actually two really good draws. I just do, drew two Lava Spikes. Oh, <laughs> jeez. So yeah, essentially, like most people would be like, oh, lightning bolt, that can hit creatures, and most of the time it's just to the face. So you have, you're playing essentially a storm deck, but that kind of plays dudes and doesn't play rituals. It just plays burn spells. That sounds fun too. Like I said, cast six or seven spells and you win. And is that, do you think that uh, for somebody who's just entering the modern format, who hasn't really played and is saying, hey, you know, in about a month we're going to have this at Friday Night Magic, I want to put together a modern deck, but they're budget conscious, would, what would you say is going to be the least expensive deck to try and put together um, at this point? That's competitive. I think Mono Red would be the, 
Soul Sisters. Because I was going to say, yeah, that deck that you were just talking about seems like, you know, it doesn't have a lot of the super, super expensive cards. Obviously, it doesn't have Bob. It doesn't have um, Tarmogoyf. You know, obviously, yeah. Jund is going to be one of the most prohibitive decks as far as cost to try and get into, you know, for, for our average listener that's, you know, going to be going to Friday Night Magic in January and, and try to trying to play Modern and wanting to have some fun doing it because, you know, it's not super competitive. It's just Friday Night Magic. Um or, woohoo, it's Friday Night Magic, yay, favorite thing in the world. You know, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's not like a GP or something where you're going to be worrying oh, yeah. about what the pros are doing. It's really something like, what can I put together that's going to be competitive and fun to play and isn't going to just lose every match because everybody's going to be playing this super, you know. Right, like, yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. The mono red is cheap, but I don't know if it's something you'd want to take to F&M because it's not terribly fun to play. And it does involve some very complex math sometimes. I like math. It's and I like turning. Like, so how is that good, math? I don't know. For me, that's fun. Yeah, it does have a yeah. good John matchup. Um, like the thing with John is essentially, like, it's more, it's, not, it's more or less a coin flip. There's no, I mean, Soul Sisters would probably be an awful matchup. Yes. But aside from that, there's no deck that, you know, if you're playing mono red, you sit down and you're like, ugh, this is a bad matchup. It essentially depends on can you draw a whole bunch of burn spells? Yep. Oh, well, red, bad. green, Tron. Red, green, Tron I wouldn't want to face as red, as mono red. Uh, it's not particularly a bad matchup. Well, once they go up to the full fill worm coils, it's pretty bad. No, for for sure. If they can turn three worm coil, then it's bad. But then again, turn three worm coil is generally bad against most decks. Yeah. Now, having said that, one big advantage that Mono Red or, or Rakdos even has in its sideboard is Blood Moon, which wrecks a lot of cards, yeah, of decks in Modern. It does. We, yeah. I, had mentioned, I had mentioned Fulman Intermage, and that's a pretty decent card. Well, Blood Moon is even better. And Blood Moon is probably Jun's biggest weakness. Yes. Uh, it's up there, uh, for sure. It hoses Jun, it hoses Tron a whole lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> scape Shift. Uh, yeah, it hoses Scape Shift. There's a lot of decks that have essentially greedier mana bases. Uh, it actually surprisingly hoses uh, Blue-White Control, because there are very few basics that are played in the deck. Most of it are all the dual-color spells. It hoses Pod. It doesn't hose the Mirror. It can hose Pod. You play, like, there's, like, two or three basics played in Pod. Right, but, but Pod, if they get a the turn uh, one bird or the turn two um, wall of roots, well, Pod, Pod they can cast Pride Pod Mage with anyway. Colorless and still go off that too. That, that is Pride, true. Pride Mage just completely destroys Pod, ob- uh, Blood Moon, obviously, because it's colorless to activate. So yes. Uh, okay, let's let's look at a couple of other red decks. There's some, oh, not red decks, but rogue possibilities. Okay. Dredgevine is starting to see some play. It is. Uh, uh, there's. Smitty is pushing in hardcore. Oh, is he? Like, I think the biggest problem with that deck, though, is there's, like, pretty much every single deck has hate for it. Mm, well, Graveyard Hate is permanent right now. Right. So whether it's Tormod's Crypts, whether it's Relic of Progenitus, uh, whether it's <coughs> something that rests in peace, peace. Uh, of the Void. it makes it much difficult, and <coughs> the problem is... Jun's essentially going to be 30 to 40% of the metagame. So you 
regardless of how big your tournament is, you have to be able to beat it or have a reasonable matchup against it. For because essentially you're going to be playing it pretty much two rounds out of every tournament, and unfortunately Jun now has access to Death Rate Shaman, and it has access to Rakdos Charm in the board. Yeah. So against that deck, like I mean, obviously if they don't have a Death Rate Shaman, you're fine. But it certainly has access to the hate that's out there. Uh, also, Merfolk is, is on some people's radar, as is Fairies. Neither of those decks is particularly cheap, although Merfolk isn't that bad. No, Merfolk is definitely cheaper than Fairies, because you don't have to buy Vendillion clicks. Though, Mutavolts will certainly set you back a pretty penny. Well, let's have a look, because I know... Merfolk is one of those strange decks that will be completely dominant one second and then horrible the next. It well, is. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a combo deck, basically. It's play all your lords win. Mutavolts, right now, face-to-face, are $40. Okay. Uh, but Merfolk does have access to counterspells, which is pretty decent. It doesn't have, like, basically cool uh, fairies effects, but it does have access to counterspells. So it's essentially, you know, get two or three lords into play and kind of just go from there. It's, say, the pre-Delver Delver. Yeah. It's Merfolk though is gonna it, well you've got Ethervile as well which is fifteen, but Murf, I don't know Merfolk is not anything like Delver. Oh no, I meant it's like because the goal for Delver is just to stick a turn one Delver and then go from there. Right, but Merfolk the goal is to hit it to stick as many lords as you can. It is. So it's more like uh, pack rat basically. Every Merfolk is a pack rat token. Right, but the, when Merfolk is at, it, at its best, it sticks to turn one vial, and then it just out-tempos you. It keeps its mana up for counters, and then drops lords with vial. And you get two to three lords with it counterspelling your relevant cards. It's just hard to beat. If they don't get that draw, they're very beatable. Well, turn two lord, turn three lord, turn four two lords is still pretty good. I mean, it could still play the aggro route if it doesn't want to play or can't play the counterspell route. But in that scenario, that's going against Jun. It's going to be turn two Lord. Okay, we'll lightning bolt it. Turn three Lord. Okay, lightning bolt it. Turn three Lord. Okay, I'll play Bloodbraid Elf and Cascade into Liliana. Sack it. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, let's see what else is there on the radar. There's Doran. That deck is fun as all get out to play. Also, you know what's really good in Doran decks? Rock's Faith Mender. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Rock Space Mender to 5-5 five, five is pretty nuts. With lifelink. <laughs> Double lifelink. Yes, sir. Yeah. So Doran is a, is green-white-black for a 0-5 tree folk? Yes. That says creatures deal damage equal to their toughness? Assign combat damage. Oh, it's only combat damage. Right. They attack with the butt. Gives you <laughs> new meaning to the word big booty. Well, it doesn't give new meaning. It gives new usage to the word big booty. Okay, fine. <laughs> gives new significance to, uh, yeah. And Doran right now, which is the hardest card to find in the in the deck, is less than, it's $3.15 right now. So it's not like these are hard to get. Uh, the deck plays uh, Knight of Reliquary, Deathrite Shaman. What else goes in there, Will? Mudhead. Uh, birds, uh, that's not, whoops, my bad, that is not the Doran deck. Sorry. Uh, there's Dark Confidant and Death Rite Shaman, because those pretty much go in any deck that have access to it. Doran, a card that's seeing much less play now, is Kitchen Finks. Yeah. 
Uh, Loxon Smiter, Hierarch, one the Christian Count Candles list from the Pro Tour had one Restoration Angel, and four Tarmogoyfs. So think of it essentially as Jun just without the red and adding the white. So it's basically just okay. kind of trying to pack in as many good cards as possible. Well, and I mean, isn't, isn't the idea, well, I guess I, it doesn't, you don't, you know, you're not guaranteed that you're going to have Doran in play, but I was going to I mean, in theory, what you want to do is you want to have a lot of creatures that are cheaply costed because they're like 1-5 or 1-4 or something like that, you know, where they only, maybe they only cost two because they have one power, but they have the large toughness, and Actually, now all of a sudden they're hitting for a lot. Well, see, that, like, that's kind of what most people think, but what's interesting is that uh, really the only creature that benefits from Doran is Doran himself. Obviously, on the, side, well, on the sideboard you can play stuff like you can play Rock's Faithbender, but uh, Confidant is actually decreased by that. Uh, Death Rage, well, Death Rage Shaman gets a small boost, but Kitchen Sphinx is decreased. Uh, Smiter is a 4-4. Restoration Angel gets a slight increase, and so does Tarmogoyf. So it's not a huge impact. It's just the fact that you're essentially pay, playing... Paying three mana for five five. You know what you could play in that deck? Grizzled Leotar. Is that a card? Yeah. It's a one five for two, baby. Leotard. <laughs> no, Leotow. <laughs> Whatever, I don't know. Oh, I thought you said a Leotard, and I'm just thinking if you know I think he did say Leotard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Okay, I yes. could wear that to ballet class or something. <laughs> yeah, from Alara Reborn, it's a 1-5 for a green and a white. You yeah, could play that. Like an, an animal print leotard is what I'm picturing. <laughs> Please don't picture me in an animal print leotard. I didn't say I was picturing you in it. Oh, God, it's enough to make you throw up. <laughs> All right, so there's the nightmare quotient for this episode. <laughs> I don't recall usually seeing guys in leotards. You know, usually I saw girls in leotards. That's been my personal experience at ballet class. Well, Maybe that should be the title of this episode, Chris in a Grizzled Leotard. <laughs> Let's not and say we did. Okay, Will, if you were going to a modern GP this weekend, what would you be playing? It's almost like I'm going to a modern GP this weekend. <laughs> I would play Jund. Travis, what would you play? I would play Birthing Pod. Adina, you said you'd be playing Storm? Yeah, I'd probably play the Storm the Storm deck. I'd be playing Eggs. You just want to be hated, don't you? I, ironically, you know, the Eggs deck is actually very similar to what my old, old, old Storm deck was. Because I played a bunch of, I mean, they're not legal in modern, but, uh, you know, the, the actual eggs that it's named after. Um, I and played, played Mind's Desire? Yeah, but I also, I mean, my tech that I had in there um, was the, it, it costs one and a white. It turns all of your, um, anything that would produce mana produces white mana and white false mana. Dog. Yeah, uh, so... Yeah, False Dawn. Yeah, because Celestial Dawn's the enchantment that does that. And then False Dawn, it does it till the end of the turn, and you draw a card off of it. And that was kind of a key piece of that deck, because then you didn't have to worry about whether or not you had two blue. You know, you didn't have to pay attention to what color you were tapping it for. You would just play, sure, sure. play False Dawn and then just, you know, sacrifice all your eggs, play all your rituals, and then play whatever spell you wanted. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd play Eggs. I'd play the uh, version with Emrakul and Disciple of the Vault, though, which also runs uh, Crackland Ironworks. But I think that's because 
I enjoy playing decks that make people lose the will to live. <laughs> you like but you like being hated. Well, I don't like being hated, but if I, I figure if I'm going to be anyway, I might as well be hated for a good reason. Now, before we move on to anything else, I just want to look at some of the key sideboard cards in modern that we haven't already talked about. There's actually one last deck we didn't go over. What's that? Oh, it's Scapeshift. Yeah, okay, we should go over Scapeshift. Did you play Valakut in standard? Scapeshift does that. It actually doesn't, though. It's much different than that. Well, there's a couple of different versions of it. But the way that it works now, it's essentially Scapeshift, and you're not... It's really deceiving, because it works essentially like a rug control deck. Right. The only problem is, is that it has this card called Scapeshift that essentially wins the game. So Scapeshift is green, green, two. Sacrifice any number of lands. Search your library for the same number of lands and put them into play tapped, I believe. Right, right. And the important thing there is that it just says lands, not basic lands. Yes. So essentially, the key number is kind of eight. So it essentially has a whole bunch of spells Seven. that can... Uh, no, I meant eight, sorry, uh, two Valakuts and six Mountains. Uh, one Valakut and, and five Mountains is... Or six Mountains is normally enough. Okay, so Valakut is no yeah, longer no, banned, yeah. and, and so this is basically a Valakut deck. Correct. It is. Okay. And I sent, but instead of, you know, just kind of having the Valakut and then slowly but surely, you know, with Primeval Titans getting triggers, it goes for it in one shot. Actually, don't they normally go two Valakut, four mountains? Or five mountains, rather? You need the, uh, you need six mountains, though. Well, there's already one in play. I, I guess right. it depends well, on how many mountains you have in play at the time when you scapeshift and what you're sacrificing, because obviously yeah. you need to have five mountains plus, because it's, it's, it, when a mountain comes into play, if you already have five mountains. So, the mountains that you're putting into play, plus the mountains you have in play, have to equal six, or else Valakut's not gonna trigger. Correct. So if you have a val- if you have a mountain already in play, you can get two Valakuts and four mount and five mountains at seven. So the deck plays two mountains, four steam vents, and four stomping grounds, making a total of ten mountains. Well, I mean, this is the list I'm looking at. Some are a bit different, and so the key is actually that they're trying not to draw mountains, trying not to draw mountains, get as many lands as, as many other lands as possible into play. So in that way, when they go off, they can sack everything that's non-essential. To kill you like right. that. That's one version. There is another version that plays Prismatic Omen. Yes. Which is a, one, which is a green and a colorless for an enchantment that says uh, lands you control have each are each basic land type. So that includes Valakut. So Valakut counts itself as a mountain. And then when you scapeshift, it really doesn't matter what you get as long as you get Valakuts. Yeah. Very gross. Uh, all right, Travis, we know you want to do it. Talk about Pod, and then we'll move on. Yay! All right, Birthing Pod is a deck that can bo- go both midrangey or combo kill. It primarily uses uh, Kiki-Jiki Mirror Breaker with Restoration Angel or Zealous Conscripts to combo out for infinite damage. Um, the rise of Rakdos Charm kind of makes you want to not go with 10,000 creatures the way most of the time you did previously. But, but since these guys have... It does have access to restora- Restoration Angels, so you only need seven of them. Right. Or Zealous Conscripts. In which case, you can you can still make steal it their, nothing keep under the... their board. That, yeah, that's also a possibility. But uh, uh, I think Pod is well-positioned because it has a decent giant matchup. And since it does play wide, it has access to the cards that 
hate the Storm and combo decks. Now, it can go off on turn four, right? Uh, yes. Because it, the, the versions I've seen recently have been playing in Tumor Exarch, which enable you to go with just a Wall of Roots in play. Uh, you can go off, I think, isn't it? Or, cause you go, you pod the Wall of Roots into a Deceiver Exarch, untap the pod, pod the Exarch into a Tumor Exarch, get back, uh, the Deceiver Exarch, cast it, untap the pod. I don't know, I didn't, I don't play the blue version. I, or, no, I think you need a, a one drop and a two drop in play. But anyway, you can, and it, it's stupid. You can go from a one drop and a two drop in play to winning the game. Yep. But I I took that version, or I looked at that version, I decided against it because of Jund. That version runs only one Kitchen Finks, and I went back to the um, the four Kitchen Finks for Restoration Angel version because you can grind out Jund that way. So what you're saying is you took that deck and you Landstirtled it? No, I went back to an earlier version. The, the blue was um, uh, only added for GP Columbus. No, no, for no, no you, you definitely Landstirtled. Because you have four main deck Aethersworn Cannonists. I have one Aethersworn <laughs> Cannonist main. Cannonist really isn't that bad. I mean, it's main deck, it, it usually beats the Storm decks game one because they're not packing their hate for it. Um, in game two, you bring in the full four set so you can fight them. But, I mean, it's also not horrible against Jun because it turns off Bloodbraid Elf. Yeah, but not horrible and not that bad aren't really the words that you want describing the cards that you're putting in your main deck, are they? As a one of with the deck that, um, you know, just says, hey, it's here, I'll sacrifice it and go get a three drop instead, it's not that bad. But wouldn't you rather just have something that's, like, awesome? That's the thing. It is awesome in some matchups. If I play Storm or um, even Eggs, getting that into play turn two may be enough to win me the game by itself. Or getting it no, to play turn, you know, play turn one birds, turn two pod, turn three, get rid of the birds for it. Um, it gives me a way to beat those decks in game one. There is another type of pod deck, right? Yes, Malira pod, which is an even can even, can be even faster. It doesn't even need pod to win, but it does need the graveyard, which makes it easier to hate out. Yes, that's why well, I like the, the other version of pod. You don't have to have the graveyard, and you can just. Kitchen Finks and Restoration Angel with a Birthing Pod chain so well that you can destroy Jun just with that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So this is that's a, that's a quick look at some of the stuff that's viable in modern. Uh, some of the decks you should be looking to pick up. We give you some cheap options, some powerful options, some rogue options. Uh, lots of fun stuff. There's one last one, but no, no one should play it. What's that? It's Zoo. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's right. Zoo is expensive. One thing we did forget to mention is modern is going to be more expensive than standard, if only because of the fetch lands. Any blue flat fetch land right now is crazy expensive, and the others aren't cheap either. Which is just insane. Those things shot up very quickly. So be aware of that. Like even the Rakdos decks play. Um, What's surprising though is that like the most expensive lands are the blue fetches, but they're played kind of the least. If it wasn't for the fact that Vernon Catacombs is in one of the, what not a pre-con, but the uh, event decks, it probably would be the most expensive. It was in the very popular event deck. Yeah, the the one that also had Bloodgust in it, I think? I think so. All right, cool. So are we ready to move on? I think that's enough modern discussion. Okay, let's move on to the 
And a moment of geekery. Adina, go! So last week I downloaded a bunch of different games on my Android, and I'd only played a couple of them. Well, there's one called Blood Brothers that I downloaded that I have been playing pretty much nonstop all week. Um, I've been resisting the urge to go out and, you know, just spend a lot of money on supplies for the game so that I can do better and do various things. Um, the one problem that I ran into was that when I started playing the game, there was this event going on, and so there was this event area with all these super powerful monsters, so I just played there, and now that the event is over, um, I haven't opened up of the area, but everything that I'm, that I have to right now, the basic beginning areas, so going through them is not getting me enough XP and if I don't level up, I don't refill my energy, and then basically after about 15 minutes, I have to just stop playing and wait two hours for my energy to fill back up because I don't feel like going out and, you know, buying the coins so I can buy the mandrake group so I can refill my energy. Um, however, uh, I ran into an issue with my Wi-Fi in my house, and I can't really uh, get my phone to connect to the Wi-Fi, so I don't really want to do anything that's heavily data-intensive until I get that squared away. So I was looking for a way to play it on the computer, and I discovered uh, something that I'd, I'd heard about before, but I actually downloaded it onto my computer. It's called BlueStacks. Have you guys heard of BlueStacks? No. It, it's basically an Android emulator for the PC. So if you have, and, and I believe it's available on Windows and Mac, and it was developed primarily for people who are making Android applications so that they could preview them and see what they're going to be like. Um, but what they have now is you can just go, you can download BlueStacks. It's still in beta, so it's actually free. Um, and you download this program, and you run this program, and while you're running this program, you can download Android apps onto your computer and open them up and actually just use Android apps on your computer. So, um, yeah, it's called BlueStacks, and it's a really cool program, and I've been basically playing Blood Brothers on my computer now. I'm, oh, I'm cool. sure there are other more useful things to do with BlueStacks besides, you know, play one video game constantly, but uh, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, there will be other applications that I'll want to use on my computer, and so now I can. All right. Travis, moment of geekery, sir. Okay, I stumbled upon a comic that someone drew on Reddit. It is a comic that involves potty humor. Exactly. We will just say that. Of course, you know, having your boss walk by your desk and seeing you doing anything that's not work, probably not so safe for work, depending on your boss. This is true. <laughs> like, there there are definitely some companies where if you have Facebook up, you're going to get yelled at. And, like, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing work? Why are you on Facebook? And so well, and so sure, forth. but nobody is going to call Facebook not safe for work. True. But you want to... You not going to get you a promotion, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> unless your job is updating the Facebook for your company and, you know, you're in marketing and so you're posting things about your business onto the Facebook page and interacting with customers. Then I guess it would be okay to be, you know, on Facebook while you're at work. On a fun fact, the guy who was responsible for designing the interface for where people could send messages uh, for any questions they had Instead of actually designing something from scratch like he was supposed to, he designed it on Facebook. So I am required to have Facebook open uh, to the work profile account uh, at all times when I'm at work. <laughs> that seems horrible. It, 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 it is horrible, but 
I've also, like, met the guy, and I was like, so you just wanted to be on Facebook all day is what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. I mean, it's like anything else. You know, there are, there are these programs out there that are great tools that can be used to further your business, but a lot of people just use them to socially interact with their friends or, you know, to surf for – I remember when MySpace first – started gaining popularity, everyone was just going on MySpace trying to, like, meet people and, and date people. You know, they were just looking for looking to hook up. So, you know, that that was very much the beginning of social media on the uh, Internet. And it's it's evolved. It's definitely evolved to the point where that's not the only thing that it's used for now. You know what we call those people on this cast? Chris Lansdale. <laughs> How bad I is it that that was Facebook. exactly what I was thinking? No, you were going to I, say. I, no. She when she was referring to the people that only look for meeting and hooking up and dating on uh, MySpace. That is so not fair. I've never even been on MySpace. And no one will admit to having been on MySpace. <laughs> yes, I will. MySpace I was, was like, awful. My, I have this, you know, I had custom HTML on the whole thing back in the day when you actually had to know HTML to do the custom HTML and you had to, like, program it in and, yeah, I was way into that, so I'm I'm not ashamed to admit it. And that was back when MySpace was popular and then, you know, when it kind of fell out of favor and it just became a place for people to post, you know, information about their bands or advertising stuff, then, you know, I moved on to Facebook. Right. Indeed. So, well, do you have a moment of geek? I do. Okay. I have a quote, a joke, three pictures, and a gif. In that order? <laughs> Let's just go with the quote. No, no, we're going with all of them. Okay. Oh, for crying. So, the quote is, if you fall, I'll be there. It's by the floor. The joke... <laughs> Sorry, go on. The joke is, what, con- what concert costs 45 cents? Nickelback featuring... 50 cent featuring Nickelback. 50 cent featuring Nickelback. Uh, then I have a picture of, back in the day, there was a segment on the cast known as a barrel roll, and there's, uh, I found a picture on the internet of two cats with one cat flipping the cat saying, I said do a barrel roll. Nice. <laughs> honor the old barrel roll. Uh, there's this picture of a polar bear dancing, which obviously is fantastic. Lastly, I found, uh... I assume it's a picture of Travis at, I'm going to say, a family reunion. Travis, you're going to have to clarify exactly where you are in this one. Oh, dear goodness. This is not going to end well. I don't see it opening. That, or you were at, like, a Little Red Riding Hood reenactment? That's not going to end well. I don't use a pipe. Okay, Travis isn't well, but regardless, and notice he didn't object to you know the blonde braided wig or you know the corset or anything. He's hey, what I do in my private time, you guys have no right to judge. This actually looks like Travis. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I would make a handsome little Red Riding Hood. And finally, to end off my random moment of geekery. This is a gif of a cat just chilling. Of course it is. <laughs> whoa, whoa, before you judge, open it. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. <laughs> uh, these links will all be in the show notes. Uh, but... Well, you you should uh, you should seek some help, my friend. Um, Good person. Right. 
So, apart from the fact that Wonder Woman is coming back to TV, my moment of geekery is not really that geeky, but it's what I spent all week doing. Okay, uh, uh, just so I can interrupt, you appearing on a television doesn't mean Wonder Woman is returning to TV. But nice try. Wait, <laughs> I want to hear more about this. What, what Wonder Woman what? Yeah, Wonder Woman is coming back to TV. Yeah, they have said that like 12 times. I'll believe it when I see it. Okay, what channel? What's what's going? Where is this coming from? Irrelevant. It's gonna suck. Okay. Do they have they said who's gonna play Wonder Woman at least? I mean, is it like a famous actress? Is it somebody we've never seen before? Is it? I don't know. I haven't been paying attention. <laughs> anyway, stop stealing my. Okay, let's just say. Well, I, I want to know about your moment okay, of geekery. Fine. Wonder Woman's cool. Jul- Julia Roberts is gonna be Wonder Woman. End of story. Chris, continue. Okay, so. I have spent the last few days at a leadership summit learning all about uh, leadership skills and things like talking to the media and leading in tough times and writing good speeches and stuff. And it's been absolutely fascinating, and I've really enjoyed it. I'll stop you there for a second. Yeah, really. That's like the perfect indictment of your personality. (laughs) Travis, weren't you supposed to be the one who's responsible for making sure Chris doesn't join a cult? (laughs) I wasn't at my post, man. I'm sorry. All right, let's hear about this cult. Chris, go on. Anyway, that's all I have to say. Did you have matching really sneakers? <laughs> and jump suits? I hope you didn't drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> shout out, Zadina. I want to send a shout out to Ricky Hayashi, who is awesome, and who was doing coverage for Star City this weekend, and so I got to see him on camera. And, uh, yeah, he's just a really cool dude, and I'm stoked that he's getting some FaceTime on the camera. Seconded, Ricky is awesome. Awesome. So anyway, uh, also shout out to Martinet for hosting our website and shout out to Card Kitty for the image that is on our website. And shout out to the boys that came over and played EDH last night. It's great to have a play group here in Jackson, um, even if they do get a little whiny sometimes when you remove cards from their deck. Remember that show Hanging with Mr. Cooper? (laughs) I remember that show. That has absolutely nothing to do with what you just said. I was just throwing that out there. I'm sure it doesn't. Uh, Travis, shout out. Shout out to my boys on Team Girth. <laughs> Kurt, Jacob, Billy. Yeah. Um, also, that reminds me, we did leave out a deck in Modern. Living End. No, living End is not a deck. Yes. Kirk will, he will make sure that eventually that deck is tier one. And also, it is definitely the cheapest deck to build in the format. I would agree with that. It is very cheap. I don't know. You have to buy all those cycling dudes. I'm pretty sure those are pretty expensive. If by expensive you mean 50 cents, then yeah. Whoa, 50 cents? Yeah, man, I'm telling you. I don't think so. I would say that half of the burn spells are more expensive than the cycling dudes. Actually, Street Wraith is not that cheap. It's the only one that's not cheap. I saw a foil one today for five bucks. Yeah, street ra- street wraiths are two dollars. What are the name of those other awful cards that are in it, though? <laughs> Dead Eye Dead Eye Minotaur. Um, Let's see. Dead Living Eye, in Dead Eye. <laughs> Violent Outburst is in the deck. Look, Dead Eye. It's not even on this. Thing. Demonic Dread. <laughs> okay, so the biggest problem with building Living End is figuring out what cards are in Living End. You have to really raid some draft piles for that. <laughs> I mean, it is a legitimate deck. It, it crushes uh, decks that aren't prepared for it that rely on creatures. Deadshot Minotaur is 15 cents. Woohoo! So I assume... You could buy a playset for just over two quarters. I think he foiled it out for like 50 bucks. 
So Living End is $3. Foil is $7.50 on FaceToFaceGames.com. <laughs> okay, moving on. Do you have any more shout-outs, Travis? Mm, nope, just Team Girth. Okay. I want to give a shout-out to everybody I'm going to see at GP Toronto this weekend. How come Travis never oh, gives white I, oh, Because that's another show. Oh, I give my... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of plugging there. And uh, also I want to give a shout-out to this guy on Twitter. Where is he? His name is he's Mitchell Dietz, who tweeted, and I quote... I've never seen so many posts in regards to bacon and magic. Thank God I follow the Lansdurdle. I think we can all agree that both bacon and magic are awesome, although Adina may disagree on the bacon one. Just a little bit. <laughs> but at least it smells awesome. Not really. Mm, but okay, whatever you say. <laughs> and uh, I want to give a shout-out to all the guys from Newfoundland who are coming up to Toronto to play in the GP. That's going to be awesome. We're going to be testing until the wee hours of Saturday morning, because I don't sleep. Which hotel are you staying at? Yep, wherever the other judges are staying. Oh, you don't know yet? He doesn't want to tell you so that you can track him down. I just don't remember. Oh, uh, (laughs) the the hotel I'm staying at, you need a key room to get to the floor I'm staying on, so don't worry. You won't be getting in. Chris is staying at the hotel that serves nachos. <laughs> when he goes on to travel Austin, he makes sure his searches delineate the hotels that have nachos available. Please, please, Travis. True ballers don't use Travelocity. That's why you use it. You're not a true baller. Will has seen the kind of hotel rooms I get. Yeah, you didn't pay for them, so calm down there, uh, little girl. <laughs> I don't, I'm not paying for this one either. It's a judge room. Anyway. I do not book through Travelocity. Thank you. Priceline. <laughs> I don't like Priceline. Okay, i got to tell you guys, I work in the hotel business, so that is not the way to do it. Um, unfortunately, what happens with those sites is they make at least 20%. So if you call the hotel directly, you can always get whatever they're quoting on Travelocity, and very often you can get something else. For example, if you have AAA, or CAA, you can get a AAA discount or a CAA discount, which you cannot get on Travelocity because you cannot prove on Travelocity that you are a AAA member, and therefore, you know, you're getting the Travelocity price, and they're getting 20%. So, you know, they are paying significantly less to the hotel than what you are paying them, and so the hotel is usually willing to do something in between there. If you call the hotel directly, you can get a little bit cheaper of a rate because, even giving that money back to you, they're not giving 20% to Travelocity or Expedia or Orbitz or any of those online travel agencies. So, no. so look on those sites, find the cheap one, and then call that hotel and give them the finger. Hotwire is a legit place to shop because they, go, they, they only sell you unsold rooms. Kind of. I mean, well, the thing about Hotwire is that Hotwire is a 30% discount that you have to give at least minimum 30%, sometimes 50%. And it is always last-minute rooms. You can't pick the hotel. Um, and, again, the hotel is not making nearly as much money off of it as they would make if you called them direct. So, you know, if you call up and you say, hey, you know, I've seen this rate online and blah, 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 whatever – they might be willing to wheel and deal with you. Now, not every hotel is like that. Some hotels are, like, very, very corporate, and you can only use a rate that's in the computer, and the people at the front desk don't have the ability to negotiate. 
But a lot of hotels aren't like that because that's not the way to maximize revenue. You know, you want to make every single sale, so you want to be negotiating rates and things. It's like the airlines. When you, whenever you sell a room, you know, you you want to, you know, you want to make sure whenever you have the opportunity to sell a room, you want to make sure you sell it. And if that means, okay, you know, I'm giving the customer $5 less than I would get if I got the full price, but that's better than giving them the $20 that I have to give Travelocity to book it, or Hotwire or whoever, you know, there's there's definitely some leeway. And, yes, Hotwire, you can get some great deals. Um, but a lot of times if you call the hotel directly, you can get some great deals too. You know, that's actually really useful information for people who are planning to travel to GPs or something. It is. The one point where I have to disagree with the Dean on, because I generally do that except for magic trips, when people are splitting it evenly, then I'll normally book on Hotels.com because I get rewards. This is true. If you're, not, yeah, if you're not the one who's paying the whole thing, then yes. And and there are a lot of rewards programs and things, you know, like if you're on your if you're using credit card points and things like that, you know, then you get the benefits. So so yeah, that makes sense. If you don't sign up for hotel rewards cards, you're doing it wrong. But no, I completely agree with Adina. Just calling up and being like, Hi, hey, I saw on your site your room is one twenty or on another site, even if it's say slightly made up. The room is one twenty. They'll be like, "Oh well, I can give it to you for one ten, which hey, it's ten bucks less." Yeah. Just, uh, just I mean, just, side yeah, side. definitely asking if you're running any specials. Hey, you know, I saw this rate. Are you running any other specials, or can you honor that rate? You know, uh, or a lot of times what the hotel was really like, well, I can honor that rate, but I'll also give you a free upgrade. The one thing, just the one thing not to do though is to call a hotel in Times Square on New Year's Eve and be like, "Yeah, can you give me a discount?" <laughs> not gonna work. Yeah, just well, to finish if, my if shout Travelocity out. says no inventory available, and probably calling the hotel, you're not gonna get a deal. You're gonna, you might get a room, but you're not gonna get a deal. So, just to finish my shout outs, uh, shout out to KYT and to Kyle Rick for delivering my hoodie, uh, which is incredibly comfortable, and I am going to be wearing it this weekend at GP Toronto. What do you mean for delivering your hoodie, like to your house? Oh no, it's true, you're in Ottawa right now. Yes. Okay. So that's all of my shout-outs, and I have nothing to add. So, on that note... Uh, hey, 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 me. Who are you? Will has <laughs> sh- shout-outs. Okay, go ahead, Will. The worst. Shout-out to uh, Sean Brickley, who is at S34NYB on Twitter, because he agrees with me for Skyfall. So thank you, buddy. Uh, a shout-out to Mr. Scotty Mack, because I've been grinding uh, some Moto uh, matches with him, uh, just to test Modern. And a shout-out to the guys I'm going up to GP Toronto with. Uh-huh. Also, Travis, didn't you want to brag? Yes. I got two really good shout-outs this week on Twitter. One from Scotty Mac. Let me pull it up. Do-do-do. Really? We're waiting for this? Come on, buddy. <laughs> yes. Together. I want to read it in its entirety. Scotty Mac posted, pretty sure the first person to tell me about Faithbender being good was Travis Hall. There, I said it. And then, not 24 hours later. So you're taking taking credit for something we came up with as a cast. Yes, I am. (laughs) Okay. Well, Travis is a part of this cast, so, you know. I made sure that I got that out there for us. So I was the face of the cast in that regard. I would just like to point out that this was on episode 37, and we both came up with it. You mean 47? 
No, uh, yeah, I do mean 47, yes. Okay. And then less than 24 hours later, Jason Clark, uh, real evil genius on Twitter from Report Avenue, said, I take it back. Death Rite Shaman is the real deal. Travis Hall 456 was correct. I was wrong. Not just a dirtle card. <laughs> so, yes, we do give you valuable insight here at Horde of Notions. And I think you'll also find that there were some pros talking about Rock's Faith Mender. Yep. Uh, LSV actually used the phrase, Rock's Faith Mender is insane. And Jerry T. was uh, talking about adding it to his deck? Uh, he was asking about it. Sam Black was uh, recommending it. And then Sam Black and Jerry T. And I think Eric Froelich were all saying, you really want the full set of four. Because it really stops zombies in its track, just as we've been saying for about 15 episodes. Yeah. On a fun, on a fun side note, uh, we had uh, Ollie on last cast, and he was playing the five-color control deck that he top-aided, actually came third place with at SCG. Uh, that was this weekend. In the sideboard, there is one Curse of Echoes, which is just hilarious. But there's also two Rock's Faith Mender. So maybe we rubbed off on him a little. Yeah. I'm actually going to tweet at him right now and ask him about that. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. Also, ask him which deck he brings Curse of Echoes in against. <laughs> That's against Blue-White uh, blue Flash and Blue-White-Red Midrange. Yeah, because I definitely saw him play the Rock's Faith Mender against uh, the zombie decks. He pulled that in. And that, I mean, basically in the, in the quarterfinals, uh, he played that and then he played a Thrag Tusk. And the commentators were just like, oh, yeah, it's over. <laughs> like, oh, he just gained 10 life. Oh, there's another Thrag Tusk. Oh, yeah. There's also, there's also one Gisela Blade of Gold Knight in the deck. Yes. He Didn't we also suggest the, He took out the Angel of Serenity and he put in the Gisela. Curse of Echoes, I think, was thought of by Jerry T, but it's really good against Bant because it copies Sphinx's Revelation, and it makes the counterspells kind of moot. So, is it just me, or is going Faithmender into Curse of Echoes just the most hilarious thing against anyone planning to play Revelation? I think so. Pretty much. I mean, don't they just, like, uh, shuffle that card to the back of their hand at that point? Like, yeah. <laughs> Only as a dire last... Need. Yeah, this is just never leaving my hand. It's yeah, that's pretty much just casting Nevermore naming Sphinx's Revelation at that point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then if you cast your own Sphinx's Revelation, it's just like, oh, all of the cards in life. Mmm, me gusta. All right. Uh, shout out to Ali Antrazi. So, on that note, let's wrap this baby up. From Adina, from Will, and from Travis, this is Chris saying join us again next time for another exciting episode of Horde of Notion. Hell Rider. Right